Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman. And today we are going to have a conversation about confidence, what we know from research helps support confidence, why it's important, and the mistakes that we're making, innocent as they are, well-meaning as those mistakes are, in raising confident kids. We're also talking about perfectionism. We know perfectionism is a high risk, especially kids today. And there are concrete ways that we can help reduce perfectionism in kids while still helping them feel motivated and excited to excel. I have a subscription for dreliza.bulletin.com where you can go on, subscribe, and there are in-depth articles on timely topics and for a very small, hopefully manageable fee, you can do a premium subscription and I'm going to be meeting with the community, having live conversations, following up with extras from the podcast, drlisa.bulletin.com. And for 10 of you who send me a DM with just a picture of the receipt or your order for the new subscription, I'm going to be sending you one of those fantastic mugs. I look forward to continuing all of our conversations in a more connected way. Now on to our really important conversation about raising confident kids. I have a return guest, Dr. Michelle Borba, who's an educational psychologist and New York Times bestselling author. Her latest book, Thrivers, is now available in paperback. And it's a really wonderful guide to address the staggering increase in anxiety, stress, and emptiness for children from preschool to high school. We're going to talk specifically about one of the topics, confidence and perfectionism, which is sort of a subcategory of confidence. We all need this conversation. Let's start by defining confidence so that we're on the same page about what we're talking about, because this gets so misunderstood. Confidence is that wonderful inner belief of who you are. It doesn't really need an evaluation, but it's a it's a clear appreciation of my strengths, who I am, not what my mom or dad want me to be. And once we have that, we realize that's actually the foundation to not only resilience, but one of the highest correlations to real happiness, reduction of mental health, and you want a kid who's going to do better in terms of academic performance, 
That's confidence. Later on, they're also more likely to get the job that they want, be able to engage longer in whatever it is. They've got that flow state because they figured out their strengths and they're more likely to therefore be able to accept their weaknesses. And that has a lot to do with therefore being the best they can be, their best versions of self. That's why confidence really matters. So what are some misguided ways to raise confident kids? And let's like just mention those because I think people can fall into traps of believing that building confidence is about something that it isn't. And then we can do all the ways we can start to grow confident kids. I think one of the biggest misinterpretations of confidence is that we've got to praise them for every little thing they do. We've got to give them the gold stars and for heaven's sakes that they show up, we give them the trophy. And we now know that that backfires because in first thing is the kid begins to expect it And what we now know about real resilient children is they have agency. It comes from the inside out. It's not relying on somebody else. So the first thing is, yeah, go ahead and praise them, but praise them when it's valuable, when it's knowledgeable, when it's something that you want that child to be able to understand about who they are, and then stop always having to praise. At one point, watch your footwork and start backing up from it. I think the second thing is always having to rescue our kids. Oh my gosh, I don't want them to fail because I want them to be confident. But we know that we've also got to help our children be able to manage little slow dosages of stress, be able to know that I can handle that challenge. So when the challenge does come, they'll be able to go, I got this because they've had little dosages along the way. And I think the third thing we've done, oh my gosh, is I'm really worried about the misinterpretation of really building our children's strengths up, that mentality of the tiger mom that we've got to push, push, push them and you're only going to be able to do the the violin or the piano or the tennis lessons and everything else is irrelevant, absolutely is a disaster to a child because we as a parent have to figure out who our child is. Then we begin to help that child become the best they can be. So I want to expand that one because... That comes up a lot when parents are trying to figure out, like, how do I help my child master something? And maybe they think, oh, I don't know how many things they should try. What if I really want them to do sports, but they're not interested? What if I really want them to do dancing? And then I push them and push them so that they find the mastery, so that they gain the confidence. Can you talk about maybe a different approach, but still getting kids? to find something that they want to get good at so they can get confident. When our children are younger, it's a perfect time to be able to give them little dosages of experiences. Do they like dance? Do they like music? Do they like woodwork? What is it that drives their passion and their interest? Because when we now know about what is that child in their terms of their strengths, we see that they're a little more tenacious with it There's an eagerness. Oh, mom, I want to go to that soccer game. The child is pulling you, not you're pushing him. But you begin to expose him to types of things so he begins to see where he feels comfortable. There's a need. When the soccer camp closed during COVID, maybe that's the point you really saw this child going, now what am I going to do? Because he craved that moment. He really did have that passion for it. You can also see the tone in his voice. 
This is the child when you say, hey, dear, sweetie pie, it's time for dessert. And the kid turns and goes, mom, can I just finish this? Not because it's a grade, but because he's passionate about, I don't care if it's a puzzle or the art or the music, he's really found his niche. There, there's another thing that's interesting about the why. One of the most wonderful studies I discovered when I was writing Thrivers to figure out why kids are resilient was Emmy Werner. She looked at kids or over 700 of them growing up in very adverse situations. And she studied the same kids for over 40 years and she found something very remarkable. One third of them, despite the adversity, they bounced back and they did quite well in life. But one of the most amazing commonalities of why they had a hobby. They had an interest and it was that strength area, not that they were necessarily going to win the Nobel Prize or some kind of an Oscar, but they just knew what helped them decompress, knew what gave them that strength from the inside out. And you know what? It's never too late if you discover that your child doesn't know what they're good at or what their strength is or has a point that they are really feeling like, what do I want to do in my spare time or keep going to unhealthy hobbies that don't really help them then what many families are doing is slowly introducing different things each week. Find what really helps your child learn to find their passion or their interest so they can use that the rest of their life. And now a little break so I can tell you about my sponsor, Talkspace. It's no secret that I have prioritized mental health for adults and children. Everybody in the world deserves to have the most support possible. Whatever challenges you are facing with your mental health, whether you're struggling with low confidence, with perfectionism, as we're talking about in this episode, with anxiety, with the stress of the world, there's certainly no one size fits all solution. And yet it can be hard to find a therapist. It can be hard to schedule a therapist and it can be hard to figure out what the right fit is. And that's why Talkspace Online Therapy gives you unlimited access to a licensed therapist so that you can set aside time to focus on putting your oxygen mask on first. And we know that children do better when their parents do better. So if you feel like you don't have time to take care of your own mental health, imagine you are caring for your children's mental health in the process of caring for your own. And Talkspace understands what we all know, which is that caregivers are squeezed for time. And instead of trying to figure out a schedule With the 24-7 asynchronous messaging, you can actually talk about what's on your mind in the moment, schedule appointments at strange hours that accommodate your schedule, and you can have a chat, video, or audio options for live sessions that you can get support on your own terms with privacy on any device you need. The modern era has taught us that there are different ways to do this, and it doesn't have to just be the rigid experience of going into a therapist's office between nine and five. So get the one-size-fits-one support you need with Talkspace. Sign up today at Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with promo code HUMANS. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com, promo code HUMANS. I think I want to highlight what you just said about finding these hobbies because sometimes people panic, my kid hasn't found a thing yet. But part of that is we have to redefine what the thing is because what if they really can get deep into bead making, but we just didn't value that as something. But you're saying it doesn't matter what it is. It's that they have something that's obviously healthy and adaptive and not, you know, dangerous. 
I love that healthy because I think that's the criterion you're looking for. When the child is engaged in the hobby, do you see that first there is a need, but also you see he's a little more relaxed. He's a little more passionate about it. He seems to really enjoy it. And then he craves it. He asks for it. Here's another thing that's absolutely disturbing that we do know that the average time our child gives up their real talent. I mean, a hobby doesn't have to be a talent. That's just a healthy alternative that he goes to. Uh But some of our kids develop these wonderful real talents. The average child, University of Chicago, gives up their real talent is around the age of 13 because they don't have time for it. So once you discover just that healthy interest the child has, look at the calendar. Is there one little thing you can take away? so that there's a little more time to be able to carve in. We're talking just 30 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day. So he can go to that and knows that's my go-to every day after school or right before he goes to bed. What is it that he craves and needs? And it's going to be different for each child. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be necessarily what we love or we're passionate about. Let me give you an example of that. I, I love talking to parents, but I remember one dad that I met from Washington, D.C., who told me, as we all do, he had two very different boys, very different interests, and he was concerned about his youngest kid. He said, all he talks about is wolves. I want him to be go, become a lawyer. I'm an attorney, and I think he'd be really good in it. I think it's a great profession for a kid, but all he wants to do is talk about wolves. So one day I finally decided to uh, partner him up at a park ranger and go to the park and talk to the ranger. And I sat there with my mouth open because my child had such eagerness, such excitement. He was correcting the park ranger about some of the statistics about wolves. And that was my moment that said, forget law. This kid is into biology. And it was my mistake that I wasn't seeing where my child was, what he needed I needed to start helping my child become who he was. And there's where I finally realized that's what's going to make him shine. Now, if you can't take classes in something, yes, if you don't have access or the way the world is or the time, but you can see that your child is really interested in mastery of some kind of hobby or they have some kind of talent that they're working on. Yeah. Is it necessary to promote the confidence to give them the opportunity to get better in these bigger ways by, you know, enrolling in programs? Or is it possible for them to sort of drive that train? And I'm not sure if I'm making it clear, but I was just thinking about like, what if you don't have access to the park ranger, even though I love that story so much. And it's such a good point because so many of our kids have deep interests and we're like, they have nothing that they're they're, They don't have a thing, but they do. It's just that we don't view wolves as a thing. Well, first of all, we keep watching a little closer. We get an index card and we keep walking around and we notice when our kid gets a little more passionate about something. If we can't figure something out, for heaven's sakes, connect with the teacher or the coach or the grandparent, because sometimes we're losing what we know about our children or what the child is really good at by not partnering with somebody else good saying, boy, when he was over at my house, he really loves art or she really is into guitar. The second thing, this doesn't have to break the bank. There are fabulous YouTube tapes that now train kids in whatever there is, right, from guitar right. lessons to whatever. The third thing I'm seeing that many parents are doing is finding another like-minded child who's got a similar interest, partnering those two kids together. And instead of having the child go to 
the music lesson alone, have him partner with another child and go together or do a Zoom lesson together because we've also hit two years of our kids feeling very lonely and how wonderful to be able to share a hobby or an interest together. So just kind of get creative in terms of how am I going to help my child develop this? And what you're looking for is, again, not that he's stellar in it, but it's something that builds his confidence. It's something that he can use as a go-to. And it's something that he can use also to just help him to decompress. Emmy Werner would say, that's what's going to help him during the moments when the confidence goes down. He goes back to that hobby and begins to feel more peaceful himself, sees his strength starts to emerge. It's a great way to decompress. And if you have a concern that you with the younger kids, it's easier because you can kind of try different things out. You don't have to sign up for the whole year. You can just try different activities until something feels fun and exciting, as you described. But yeah. as kids get older, if you notice they're struggling to find something that they want to really dig into, are there ways to help them find a thing that they can use to decompress and to just kind of focus on so that they can build that confidence? Oh, great question. These are the moments that we've got to kind of be crafty and figure it out so it's not like we're pushing it onto the child. Right. But the first thing is I see a lot of parents just introducing things naturally, not like here's a great hobby, but Uh just, hey, this is what I'm looking into and watch to see the reaction of the child to whatever you're proposing. That could be one idea. Second of all, you've got mentors. We overlook the mentors. Mm. It could be the neighbor next door who's really passionate about a particular interest or somebody down the street or the Boys and Girls Club or the local Y. Maybe you start looking just at awareness of what else is offered in your community that could be another ulterior. The third thing that's fascinating is that when kids are young, they choose friends based on proximity. He's my best buddy, mom, because he lives next door. (laughs) But as they get older, kids actually are more likely to choose friends based on similar values or interests. Mm -hmm. So maybe what you could also do is uh, start bonding with some other parents. If this is a new child that your kid likes to be around, then for heaven's sakes, have a coffee or at least Zoom with the other parent and find out, is there another interest that the two kids have? I I see a lot of parents are doing that right now, a yoga lessons with a group of girls together because one girl liked it, but she didn't necessarily want to do it with mom because she was getting a little older, but she found another like-minded mom who had a daughter her age and they partnered together. So it's just looking beyond what seems to be your child's passion. And then just offering that as an alternative or a lesson, just an exposure. Uh, The fascinating thing is that as our kids get older too, the number one time our kids are most likely to drop out of school is end of freshman year, first semester of college. When I talk to college counselors, they say one of the missing pieces is the child doesn't have that decompressive thing that he can go to. And if he has that, when he walks into college, at least he's got that so he can feel confident and hear something that helps me during the harder times. And you know, I can hear parents thinking, well, my kid does have something they're passionate about. They're passionate about video games or they're yeah. passionate about looking at their phone <laughs> for hours and talking to their friends. Yeah. And that's how they decompress. How can we shift that so that we can honor some of that passion, but also understand that that's not exactly the thing that's going to help 
serve that part that you're talking about that gives you the bolsters, the thriving? I think the key is to watch the child when they're engaged in whatever it is that they say they're passionate about. Because if you really watch, you'll see whether or not five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes later, is the child feeling more relaxed? Are you seeing the stress go down? Very often it actually builds and it has the counter effect. If you're seeing the counter effect, that's when you can start putting limits on certain things and start giving other options as an exposure to it. You know, we're so quick to want to pull some of the digital devices from our kids, but in certain cases, the child actually may have an amazing strength. It could be your little videographer. It could be somebody who's actually doing phenomenal things online, and we may be overlooking what is the child doing on there. But if that's the hobby and the interest and the strength, then we keep tailoring it up and helping him develop better and better awareness of what he can do to improve just that wonderful hobby interest of himself. Otherwise, counter it. That's a great point too, that sometimes if you're, you know, you might joke around and say, well, my kid's passion is video games, but wait, what if you're actually not noticing that they're a budding filmmaker or they're actually kind of ready to start creating games themselves, that it's not all bad. It's just looking at their mood, does it lift them? Does it help them decompress? Or is it just like a stressful, obsessive focus on screens? And so, okay, so now we've found a hobby. What else can we do to support kids' confidence? Well, I think the other thing is we can also just start encouraging them with our praise a little bit different. And that is, if you really want to develop agency and self-efficacy with a child, oh, please say you do, because that's the highest correlation to resilience. I got this, mom, not you got it. Watch your footwork. When you're always there being the pusher or the puller, it means that it's actually countering that child's confidence. Slowly, what you want to do is ask yourself, where am I standing now? Am I the puller or the pusher? Or how glorious when that child starts to pull you, mom, I got to get to this camp or I've got to get to this class. You'll begin to realize he loves that. The second thing is you can actually start acknowledging not every little thing he does, but start helping him develop an accurate picture of, I notice that when you're doing that particular music or when you're doing that art, you seem to really be less stressed. Wow, you seem to be really good at that. You can increase that particular talent or you can pass it on. When kids are little, I love to do earshot praise. It's so simple. Once you discover the child's actual talent, real talent or interest or that hobby, then you can just let it be and he's still going with it. And then when dad or mom or your partner comes in, you can simply turn and say, wow, you can't believe Ned's artistic ability. You'd be so impressed with him. Don't let the kid know he's supposed to be listening to your praise, but he's actually in earshot from it. He's hearing it. It quadruples it. If you are seeing a talent, then use the word because in your praise. Because I notice that you're really artistic because of the color combinations or the details. Uh, Maybe you can take a moment to look around your house. Is there a photograph for a little kid of that child doing that particular talent? We're so good to put up all the spelling tests and the test scores. But how about what the child really just is loving to do? 
Just a photograph image of it can be wonderful. Pass it on to the grandparent. Pass it on to the aunts and uncles because I've seen more of them for the child's birthday present. Instead of lavishing with all the stuff, they actually are putting into the money where I'll put some more time and energy into giving me more classes in that area. How great that could be. So you've got more people involved in it and it's helping the child. And for heaven's sakes, if you're really dumbfounded, you can't figure anything out, go and have a teacher conference. What are you seeing that this is when the child really seems to be more passionate or more relaxed or seems to be eager for particularly that particular subject that comes up? Because in the end, what we want our children to be is just confident in who they are, pleased with their own self and not needing us to give them the accolades or the gold stars, but to be able to know a solid sense of strength awareness that's the gold mine that we're aiming for. And now another break so that I can tell you about ZocDoc. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare, all the things that weren't working. And they said, enough is enough. Let's make booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free. So... Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you no longer needs to be a frustrating experience. Finding out if they'll take your insurance, understanding your needs, will they be available during the times that you need them, ZocDoc can get you those answers pain-free. There are amazing doctors out there, but the ones that really matter are the ones that take your insurance. So with ZocDoc, you can focus on the doctors who are in your network So that puts you on the path to seeing the doctors that are right for you. And you don't have to waste time hunting down recommendations from your aunt's cash-only chiropractor or the dentist your coworker recommended who's not in your network. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, takes your insurance, and are available when you need them. Read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other actual people had to say about their visit. So that when you walk into the doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you. Take care of your health. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. Whenever you need to find and book a doctor, go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free. And then use your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com slash humans, zocdoc.com slash humans. Now, you also mentioned not sort of allowing them to do things for themselves so that they can say, mom, I've got this, or dad, I've got this, versus thinking they'll feel more confident because I've set up the perfect like even packing their backpack, like we can tend to to do all of that work so that we think, oh, they're going to get to school and be more confident because they're set up better. But how is that really giving them confidence when they don't feel like they can do it themselves? Oh, I love you that you mentioned that because here's the other thing that we do. First of all, it's easier for us to pack the backpack, right? (laughs) It's like just less time. But in the end, if we want the child who's going to be able to live well without us, and that's our goal for parenting, then we got to maybe take each week or every month and take a serious moment to look at what our kids 
are capable of doing or what we're robbing them of learning because we're doing it for them. So maybe it's choosing a task each week. Maybe it's from making the bed or doing their own art or whatever the task is, identify it. Then what you do is these little steps. It's real simple. Show how to do the task to your child. Show it. Don't tell them, show. Then the second thing is you do it together. Hey, let's do it together. You can then correct along the way, but you can make sure he can pack the backpack or make the bed or whatever, bake the cookies. And then the third thing is you take one little step back and you say, show me. Once you know that your child can do it, keep walking back and say, you got it, sweetie pie. Here's your new rule. Never do for your child what your child can do for themselves. That's how you're going to raise the confident child. It's a slow process. It's never overnight. So how do we bring in the kids who, even when they're doing great, are just criticizing themselves and saying, I'm an idiot or I can't do this or I'm so bad at this. How do we help them without just saying, no, you're amazing, you're amazing? Because kids have a pretty, you know, we want them to have a realistic appraisal, not too amazing, not too, I guess, I don't know what the word, like not too high um, or too low in their assessment of what they're doing, but actually realistic. But what if it's not realistic? What if they're just bagging on themselves because that's just sort of their spin when they, you know, they get an A minus or when they just didn't win the game or when they tried something and they just feel like I can't, I keep trying and I'm not getting better. How can we help them feel confident enough to keep going without giving them pretend or inauthentic praise? The most important thing we have to do is realize that our kids are really looking to us and don't want to disappoint us. Perfectionism starts at an actually very young age. And the first thing we have to do, I think, is look at our expectations. Mm. I always tell parents, the best expectation is like a rubber band. Your goal is to figure out what your child is capable of doing and then gently stretch them one step more, one step more, one step more without snapping them. With some kids, they get overwhelmed with the whole thing. I can't do it. So I'll just give you a little point on this one. Mr. White was my piano teacher way back, and uh, I hated piano because of Mr. White. And the reason was that he was a perfectionist. If I made one mistake anywhere in the recital or anywhere in the piece, he'd stop and make me start all over again. I got to the point where all I would do is negatively self-talk myself and look for the mistake. And to the point where I hated piano, bless Mrs. Thompson, because she was my next teacher. She did something absolutely brilliant. And it was really helpful for me because I was putting so much on myself. She'd say, Michelle, let's look for the one little stumbler, the one little thing that's getting in your way. And the first thing that Mrs. Thompson would then do is help me practice over and over again the one little bar. As a result, what happened was I was feeling so much more confident because now I got, okay, I got this. I figured it out. Then we start from the beginning and keep on going and going and going. And as a result, I was slowly developing the confidence because I knew I could. And my standards were more in line with myself as opposed to you got to do everything right and everything perfect. I really like that illustration because you're not saying, because I think there are some parents who think I have to help them motivate and do Yes. Stuff. You're not saying I'm going to not notice those little stumbling moments in the piano. 
I am, yes. but I'm not turning them into, I guess we should start all over because it was a waste of the whole exercise. And t- because of that one stumbling block, it's just, you're going to practice that. And then you're going to end up mastering it more. And ultimately you're going to feel confident and have mastered it to the extent that you wanted to, whatever that means. But I really think that's a great illustration because it wasn't as if there was a teacher that was just like, you were perfect just as you are. And we ignore the mistakes. It's not that there's a strategy behind it and there's an acknowledgement or a realistic appraisal, but it's not an emphasis on the mistakes as like something bad. Yes. I think what we need to do is first tailor our expectations right. And then second of all, realize that some of our kids get overwhelmed with the whole thing. So what we can do I love this idea, but it actually came, I was taught, Navy SEALs taught it to me. They said, what you got to teach kids to do is chunk the fear. So what do you mean chunk the fear? I said, our goal isn't get through the whole battle. Sure it is. But if we thought about the whole battle at the beginning, we'd be overwhelmed. Instead, what we do is we chunk it into, I get through the first five minutes, then the next five minutes, then the next five minutes, we chunk the fear. And as a result, what happens is the child begins to get this confidence. I can do it because it's in little segments along the way, as opposed to looking at the entire project and be overwhelmed. When the child comes home looking at, I can't do all of this. Okay, then let's start with the first problem or let's start with the first row. And what happens is the child slowly begins to get the confidence of, okay, now I can do it because you're showing them a new technique that it's chunking things into manageable dosages, just like gold medals. I think about that because I love the story about Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps would say, the goal was not the gold medal. I had the best coach ever. If I thought about the gold medal, I'd be overwhelmed. But every day my coach would say, okay, Michael, here's what you're doing right now today. Now today you're going to go one second more. So he'd chunk it into little teeny dosages, which were manageable. And it kept building my confidence, building my confidence. When we always point out the what you get Mm -hmm. or how many were you right, we overwhelm the child. Instead, go back and make your whole level of what you're telling your child into a gain. Yesterday you were here. Today you're here. We're going one step more. How many spelling words did you get right last week? Three. Okay, then let's go for four. That's manageable. That's doable. And the child finally begins to realize there's nothing that I can't do. I just got to chunk it into little parts. Okay. And for that, I want to go back to these perfectionist kids because chunking is great for perfectionists as well. Mm-hmm. What what are some things that we can do when perfectionists just don't want to, they're just like, I'm not, I don't like this feeling of not being amazing at something. So I'm just not going to do it. What we've got to do according to what the research is, is just get their foot in the door. It sounds so simple, but when they give up and say, I'm not even going to try, there goes their confidence completely tanked. Mm-hmm. So I think what we've done is try to push them so that they think they have to be superior. They have to get 100% in everything. And what we've got to do is tailor it so that we begin to, first of all, acknowledge our own mistakes. We're not perfect at anything, but we got to try stuff. So if we can just get, it's actually called the foot in the door technique with psychology, to just put your foot in and start one little task or just the one little try to see whether you like it or not. Not that you're going to succeed in it at the end, but you're just going to try it. And then you'll figure out whether or not you like it, you want to continue it, but you don't just wave the white flag and give up. 
And what about the kids who are in the door, they're trying it, but they're not pushing themselves enough to sort of improve? Do we accept that that's about us when we want to push them further? Or do we try to help them understand like, well, you could, if you do want to improve, let's look at what we can do. One of the best strategies on helping a child improve, I learned from a soccer coach. He says a lot of the kids have the talent, but they don't think they're good enough or they're only comparing themselves to the guys who are the stellar players. So they figure, why should I bother? He said, the first thing we got to do is figure out what the child's strength is and go for there. And the second thing is notice that what we do as coaches is we pull the kid in, we show them the video and we don't show them the whole video. We show them the one little thing that you can improve. Well, this week, let's work on your foot going this way. If the child knows what he can do in order to get better, he's going to be far more confident in order to get in there. It's the same thing as whether or not it's all the math facts or the soccer field or the art. If they're always comparing themselves to another, they'll never feel like I'm good enough and they'll always browbeat themselves. Show them how to slowly build up your confidence, slowly by taking one little step at a time. Love that because as you said, it's not about getting globally better. It's about this one thing that you're doing and it's different than what the other kid is doing because everybody has a different thing to work on. Yeah, I think that's, everybody has a different thing to work on. And I think one thing we may be doing that we don't realize we're doing is the comparison route. Your brother did this or your father did this or your cousin did this. Every child is their own human being. What we've got to do is figure out where our child is at that moment, what their passion lies, what their strengths are, and slowly take that child by themselves up, up, up the ladder to wherever he needs to be to be his best self. I always feel like competence creates confidence, but we do have a whole generation of, I think, people who believe that praise breeds confidence. And we've talked about the praise, but in terms of, let's say you've made this commitment in your household, but you have, nobody's buying it. And they're like, what are you doing? Why can't you just tell this child their Picasso when they do their artwork? What I discovered about parents is that we desperately love our kids and we'll do everything what we want to do to help them be their best. But how are we going to change our parenting? That's not so easy. But we change based on why. Once we see what the research says, and maybe we find this one little wonderful stat that isn't going to be 5,000 words or 5,000 pages, but just maybe a little paragraph that says, here's what Ohio State has found with 5,000 kids that if we praise a little bit differently or praise them for their effort and not the end product, we'll get far better results. It begins to help the other person revamp and reboot their own parenting. The why matters. We've got to help them see what the evidence is saying. And I think, frankly, what we've been doing has been giving, we've been feeding ourselves the wrong evidence. And we've been looking at at parenting books that aren't based on science. Be very careful because we've got one chance to do this right. And that is we want to help our kids be the best they can be. We can do that. But let's make sure that the books we're using, the guides we're hearing are based on science-backed data. I would love, now that we kind of talked about 
how to promote confidence and the things that are a little bit counterintuitive, what do we know about confidence and resilience? We are raising our children in a very different era, different than our childhoods and uh, just different from two years ago. I think what we need to do is reboot our thinking and realize that resilience has got to be foremost at the top. Our children are living in a fear-based, uncertain world. And what is going to be necessary? Confidence. You've got to be able to have that inner belief, that inner self-assuredness that nobody else is guiding you, but you can guide yourself. It doesn't happen overnight, but there's nothing more powerful than a child who says, I got this. How do we do it? we start recognizing that confidence matters. If you find that you're struggling with confidence or if you find that your child is struggling with perfectionism, it's also really important to just take a week, look at your own parenting behaviors and your own personality. Like what are those moments when you're making a mistake or other people are making a mistake around you and how are you responding? What are those perfectionistic traits that you might have? I mean, come on, if you're listening to a parenting podcast and reading parenting books, you're probably trying to be a perfect parent, even no matter how much any of those of us, well, experts in quotes would say, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Don't do it. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for you. It's not good for your kids. It's a risk that if you're listening to this and reading these books, you have a little bit of that in you. So if you know this about yourself, what can you do to help serve your child in a way that helps them get out of that loop of perfectionism? There is nothing more wonderful than a parent who recognizes, I need to change my own parenting. How wonderful to be able to say, my gosh, I'm the one who's modeling perfectionism, or I'm the one that's looking like I'm a little more stressed, or I'm the one that's always comparing my child to another. We all do those mistakes, don't we? But it's the rare parent who stops, push the pause button and says, oh my gosh, if my kid had only my behavior to watch today, what would we have caught? And then take the glorious moment and say, so what am I going to do about it? That's what good parenting is all about anyway, isn't it? So we can do chunking in our parenting. So it's not overwhelming. We don't have to get it all right. We don't have to do it all in one day, but we can take these chunks, these smaller chunks, and we get a new opportunity each day because goodness knows we're going to mess up today and we don't get to stop doing it. (laughs) Isn't that the case? Parenting is a journey. It's never a one-time event and it's never a one-time lecture. We've got time to be able to do this. All we have to do is be intentional and figure out what's the one little thing I need to work on this week, this month, or this year to help my child and then commit to it. And don't try to do it alone. 